I was thinking, I see Eric in the front. You work at a golf course, right? How many, how many choices does a golfer make in a round of golf? Whether he'll use his foot wedge to push the ball forward a little bit or, or whatever. How many wrong choices does a golfer make? <laughs> you made a decision today, like what side of the bed you're going to get out of. You, uh, well, that might be the same every day or exactly what time you got up. A lot of choices that we make, and choices we make not only affect us, but they affect people around us. I invited the youth to be in with us today because this message is probably more for you than anybody else. However, we can all listen in because things that we do and decisions we make have a tremendous effect. I want to show you just how little choices that we're not even aware of can make a real difference. Sometimes we're on a collision course and we just don't know it. Whether it's by accident or by design, there's not a thing we can do about it. A woman in Paris was on her way to go shopping. But she had forgotten her coat. Went back to get it. When she had gotten her coat, the phone had rung. So she'd stopped to answer it and talked for a couple of minutes. While the woman was on the phone, Daisy was rehearsing for a performance at the Paris Opera House. And while she was rehearsing, the woman on the phone now had gone outside to get a taxi. Now a taxi driver had dropped off a fare earlier and had stopped to get a cup of coffee. And all the while Daisy was rehearsing. And this cab driver, who dropped off the earlier fare, and had stopped to get the cup of coffee, and picked up the lady who was going shopping, and missed getting the earlier cab. The taxi had to stop for a man crossing the street, who had left for work five minutes later than he normally did, because he forgot to set his alarm. While that man, late for work, was crossing the street, Daisy had finished rehearsing and was taking a shower. And while Daisy was showering, the taxi was waiting outside a boutique for the woman to pick up a package, which hadn't been wrapped yet because the girl who was supposed to wrap it had broken up with her boyfriend the night before and forgot. When the package was wrapped, the woman who was back in the cab was blocked by a delivery truck all the while Daisy was getting dressed. The delivery truck pulled away and the taxi was able to move. While Daisy, the last to be dressed, waited for one of her friends who had broken a shoelace. While the taxi was stopped, waiting for a traffic light, Daisy and her friend came out the back of the theater. And if only one thing had happened differently, if that shoelace hadn't broken, or that delivery truck had moved moments earlier, or that package had been wrapped and ready because the girl hadn't broken up with her boyfriend, or that man had set his alarm and got up five minutes earlier, or well, that taxi driver hadn't stopped for a cup of coffee. Or well, that woman had remembered her coat and got to an earlier cab. Daisy and her friend would have crossed the street and the taxi would have driven by. Allô, la réception? Oui. But life being what it is, a series of intersecting lives and incidents, out of anyone's control. That taxi did not go by, and that driver was momentarily distracted. And that taxi hit Daisy. 
was crossed. Well, now those are a series of random choices and decisions that were made. And yet they had consequences. The little decision of a shoelace broken, whatever it might be. What time you get out of bed, what time you do, whatever you do, have consequences on other people. If those kinds of choices have consequences on the people around us, imagine the choices that we make regarding our walk for the King of Kings and our Lord. How consequential are those choices, not only on us, but upon the people that are around us, our children, our friends, the people we work with. I want you to just let that sink in for a moment as we dig into the choice that was made by the fourth king of Israel. Anybody know who the fourth king was? We know the first three. Who was the first one? Saul. The second one? David, the third one, Solomon. And who was his son? Rehoboam. You get a star. (laughs) Rehoboam, we don't hear nearly as much about him, but he made a choice that had dire consequences on the people. I want to look at that with you, but every story that we tell has to have a context. And the context of the story for Rehoboam, the fourth king of Israel, is this. He was the son of Solomon. Now, you know Solomon is the son of David. And David, you know the connection to Saul, served under Saul. Saul made some choices that destroyed his life and destroyed people around him. David made some terrible choices in his life. But I want you to hold on to this thought because we'll tie it together at the end as we have our communion time. David was able to redirect his life or God was able to redirect his life because he turned and he faced God even in his bad choices. David's heart was turned toward God. It tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 13, That was the difference between David and Saul. His heart was turned toward God. You may try to look at your own life and say, well, look, how how can I be sure that I'm in the kingdom, that I'm a child of, of God's? The best indicator that I know of in all of life is to examine your heart. To look at your heart, even at times when sin may happen in your life, And you've fallen and you've slipped up again. Where does your heart turn? Does it turn toward coldness? To where you say, I don't need him anyways. Or does it turn back in humility and brokenness? You say, God, I need you and I desperately need you. And I cannot work my way or dig my way out of this pit or work my way through these circumstances. A great indicator for you is where your heart quickly turns when you are struggling. 
But not only when you're struggling, but when things are going well. We'll look at that in a moment. Solomon made a choice. God asked him, what do you want? Riches? Wealth? Fame? He said, no. I choose wisdom. I'd like to rule these people well. And for 30 years he did of his 40-year reign. And even Solomon made some poor choices at the end of his life. In fact, it led to a divided kingdom of Judah and Israel. Solomon, in his wisdom, was able to parlay that through God's help into untold riches. In fact, to get the context, I want to go to Second Chronicles. I'll be in Second Chronicles if you have your Bible or you have a Bible app. Or uh, I, don't, I don't know the website or the, uh, the Wi-Fi here, but you can download it quick. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help you with that. <laughs> I'm going to be looking at Second Chronicles chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be looking at it briefly because we want to move to a communion time. But first, I want to set the background with Second Chronicles chapter 9, beginning with verse 22. This is about King Solomon. This is the king before Rehoboam. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear his wisdom, the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone came. They brought gift articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules. How'd you like that? People just come and they want to sit in front of you and hear all the wise things that you have to say. And they're going to bring you everything that they can possibly bring you. Solomon had, catch this, 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots. That's 4,000 stalls. Try to picture that in my mind. That's a lot of stalls. And 12,000 horses which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. He couldn't even keep them all in Jerusalem. There were too many. It goes back up to verse 13. It says, The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now, I looked at the price of gold today, and I multiplied it times that, and looking at it, that would be $1 billion a year was the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly. But that's not all. Because it says, not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. Also, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. So one billion was just a starting point. King Solomon made, and this is critical background to the story of Rehoboam, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 200 large shields. Those are five foot tall of hammered gold. And the amount of gold that he put in these shields in today's money would be $144,000 a piece. One shield. I mean, I might even be able to buy a Ferrari, almost. (laughs) With one shield. And he had 200 of those. But that's not all that he had. He had 600 beckas of hammered gold, one into each one. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold. 
You know the Captain America shields? All right. These are more the Captain Israel shields, I guess. But he had 300 of these shields, 200 of the tall ones. The small ones would cost, in today's dollars, $72,000 a piece. So when you add up all these shields that he made, it would be $50 million worth of shields. Now, you don't make gold shields to go to war. You see, Solomon had this royal palace, and he had rebuilt the temple. And when Solomon would go from the palace to the temple, the soldiers would line the streets with these shields, either the five-foot or the Captain America shield, Captain Israel shield. All right? And in a beige world, imagine the ceremony of something like that. Imagine, I mean, people came from everywhere just to see the king in the procession. I'm sure there were horns. Who knows what all was going on? But this procession from the palace up to the temple, this was the glory day of Israel. Absolutely. Everything was at its peak. Now I want to take you to chapter 12. Same book, Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the son is ruling. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he became strong. I want you to hold on to that thought. His kingdom is now established and he is strong. Which indicates he's in a great position. His nation is in a great position Things are going very, very well. He and all of Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord because they had been unfaithful to the Lord. I think he learned that from someone. His father in the last ten years of his life, his faithfulness to the Lord had diminished and fallen. Not totally, But he turned away. He was not like David. And so now the sins of the father are visited on the son. And what's the first decision that he makes when he's strong and things are going very well? He turns away from the Lord because he's strong. Lesson. We are so very vulnerable at the time we think we are the strongest. I know a lot of people think that we are most vulnerable when things are not going well in our lives. And you know, we are somewhat vulnerable there, but it's, I believe, maybe this is just my personal experience. See if you can relate to this. It is more difficult for me to turn and just ask God to direct my every moment when things are going extremely well as compared to when I am desperate and I know I need him. Do you see the contrast? And so I I challenge all of you, and I challenge the youth here today, because I remember when I was 16. I know that's like a miracle that anybody can remember that long. All right? And I was, it, it was July of my 16th year when I made a decision for Christ. 
that absolutely turned my life in a new direction. And I remember that day. Now, I've made poor decisions since, and I've made good decisions since. But that decision was the most consequential decision that I've ever made in my life. And it changed the course as I began to lay the rails for, to run this train for the journey ahead of me. It's very easy when you're very young to feel like you're not vulnerable, that you can't be defeated, that you can't fall, that you can't struggle. Now, I will say this about young people today. I believe that you are more attuned to the dangers of this world than I was in my day. I'll tell you what we feared when I was young. We actually had these drills where we would get under the table, under a desk in the classroom, and they would ring an alarm in case an atomic bomb was going off. Can anybody else remember that? Does that sound ridiculous? It's like, I'm under my desk, and I'm going to be saved from an atomic bomb. (laughs) But we feared that. We feared that one thing, would something like that happen? But today, there are so many pressures and things coming from different, different directions that I don't really have the time to go into. But you know what you're, what you're aware of and what you wrestle with and what you, what you face. They were unfaithful to the Lord. Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen and innumerable troops from uh, Libyans, the Sukites and the Cushites, that came with him from Egypt. He captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. So they were surrounded. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah, who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. And he said to them, this is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, therefore, therefore, nevertheless, and but, are three of the most important words in all of Scripture. Wherever you see, therefore, nevertheless, or but, B-U-T, in Scripture, pay attention. Because whatever follows is of tremendous consequence, it may be the consequence. Or the deliberation, the answer, the verdict to the deliberation of what God's going to do. Therefore, I now abandon you. That's bad. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is just. Now, We don't know whether or not they truly repented. It's interesting to me. It was Rehoboam made a decision to turn from the God, and so all the people did. Now, the leaders of Israel, you catch it, decide, wait a minute, God's just, let's humble himself, and Rehoboam comes along for the ride. I don't know the level of Rehoboam's sincerity. We don't have any true clues to that. But we do know this. He did humble himself before God and said what? The Lord is just. In other words, we're going to get what we deserve. There wasn't even necessarily a cry for mercy. Not in this passage. But they recognized we're going to get what we deserve. 
we better at least humble ourselves before God because what got us into the trouble? The decision to turn away from God. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. I mean, you know, that's what we want to at least just get by, right? (laughs) We want at least deliverance. That is a very good starting point. Would you agree? My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, would I tell you about that word? It's a big deal, isn't it? You hear it? However, they will become subject to him, Shishak, the king of Egypt, that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. Now there's a lesson. God has invited them into a time of contrast in their life. And when they served God, they were blessed with gold shields and everything else you can imagine. And peace in the land. When they turned away, now they're subject to another king. God is doing it. Why? To put them into a place to say, I want to show you the difference. If you want to serve the things of this world, the things of this earth, the aspirations of this earth, then, all right. I'm not saying I will not deliver you, but you're going to see a vivid contrast between what it is in your heart and the joy in your heart and the peace in your heart and what God does in your life day in and day out when you make that choice over against the choice to serve me. He wants to demonstrate the contrast. When Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem, now catch this, he carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. Some of them? No, all of them. He took everything, including the gold shield Solomon had made. Remember those? So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and assigned these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance of the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards went with him, bearing the shields, and afterwards he returned them to the guard room. I mean, it's all he had. He didn't have any more gold. He just had bronze. But do you see the contrast? He had the opportunity. These are just symbolic. It's not about the gold and the value of the gold. But he had everything. He turned from God and now it's substituted with something of far less value. To walk through this world. To walk on that parade. Uh, Can you imagine? The Jewish mothers, you should have seen it in my day. We had gold. You got bronze. Catch this. Because Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger turned from him. That's good. And he was not totally destroyed. 
that's good. Indeed, there was some good in Judah. Yeah, that's where I want to come to the end of my life. God says to me, not well done, but you know, there was some good. (laughs) Some good. We're at a point right here today in our lives when we can make a decision to move into one of several camps. You want to be below average? There's choices you can make that you will be below average. You want to be average? There's choices you can make that you'll be average. And you'll pass. You want to be above average? There's choices. Do you want to be remarkable? Then there are choices that you can make to turn to God. The consequence will be remarkable. I don't mean famous. I mean remarkable for the kingdom of God. Here's my challenge today. That there might be one, two, or three people in this room that say, and regardless of age, especially with the youth, but regardless of age, say, I want to be remarkable for God. When we gather around the communion table, and we're going to do it a little bit different today, and I'll go through that in a moment. I want you to contemplate, consider that, and perhaps make that actual decision. To say, I want to be remarkable for God. Again, I did not connect that to be famous for God. Many of the most remarkable people were never famous except in his book, which, by the way, is the one that matters. What are some of the big ideas, just, just quickly, that we talked about? One, one choice can change everything. A choice you make, whether to turn toward and have a heart for God or turn away from God, will change everything. By the way, it will change everything for your family, your children, and the people that come after you, even your grandchildren. Two, we're most vulnerable when we're on top, so watch out. Three, good is the enemy of great. So is average. <laughs> you're satisfied at this level, that's where you're going to... You can get there. In fact, you can do a lot on your own. Who needs God? Fourth one is humility can put us back on track. In fact, humility, I believe, is the key that unlocks a door, that opens it back up again and gives us full access to him. Five, full restoration is only possible when you have a heart for God. Okay, it's not penance, it's not, you know, ten Hail Marys, it's not, it's not some list. It's just a heart for God.
I read this a couple verses later. I didn't see this first time I went through the passage. Listen to verse 14. I already told you about David, right? First Samuel, I think it's First Samuel 13. Why does he, he succeed and make it through even the terrible things he did? Because he had a heart for God in repentance. He was in a mindset of repentance and brokenness before God. We read it over and over in the Psalms. But Rehoboam, verse 14 of this chapter 12, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will always set the Lord before me. For when he is at my right hand, I cannot be shaken. David says in the Psalms. To set him before you, to set him in a place, is to make a radical decision. It's not like, I I think I'll set this over here. No, you are placing something structurally in your life to put him before you. In today's communion time, as I've already mentioned, I want to give you an invitation in this communion, and here's how we're going to do it. We have about 13, 14 minutes left in this service. It's going to be around the communion. In the first five minutes of the communion, I want you to hear a song. It's on video. Uh, My second son, Jeremy's brother, put this song together and arranged nothing but the blood of Christ. And it's his own arrangement with a group called the Worship Mob in Colorado Springs. And they got together and produced it. And it made such an impact because it came at a time of tragedy in, in the life of our family when he put it together. And he put it together for my, for my wife, Debbie, my Debbie. And um, so for the first five minutes, I want us to just listen to the song, Nothing But the Blood, and just examine your heart. All right? Take that time. Take a deep breath, okay? Okay, everybody. Does that feel good? And just breathe in what God is saying to you. At about five minutes in, I'm going to just read about five scriptures from about the blood of Christ. Say very little. And then Mike Smith is going to come and pray for us. I've asked Mike to do that for two reasons. Well, three. One, he's a man of prayer. Uh, to uh, it will give you a visual of who Mike is. Many of you already know that, if not all of you. But three, Mike is always back here by the cross at the end of the service for people that want to just come and pray. So you have that, that visual in mind. So he's going to pray for the communion itself. And then, without further instruction, at that point, the video will continue. It's a long one with some more music. I want you to come, take the bread, dip it into the cup. And if you want to linger there for just a, a moment to pray or you want to take it back to your seat or husband and wives or individually, however you want to do it, to pray, that you pray. 
and celebrate this communion together. But thinking and realizing this, that the blood of Christ, I know that sounds gruesome. People say, what is this religion about the blood? Blood is amazing. Red blood cells. You know what they do? They bring protein and life to the body. The white blood cells, you know what they do? They bring protection, immunity to the body. And then the platelets, they, they, they clot the blood so we don't bleed out. <laughs> and blood is absolutely amazing. And God required the sacrifice of blood because it brings life throughout the Old Testament. But now there is a new sacrifice. There is a new blood. There's only one blood. Only one blood that gives you access to the King of Kings and to all of eternity. And I want you to think through that as we go through this communion time. So as Joel and the worship mob play this song, let's begin that process. Yeah. 